Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? summer they were removed where have they gone oh wow that's an intense line of questioning snuffles do not call me <laughs> snuffles was my slave name you shall now call me snowball because my fur is pretty and white okay snowball <laughs> Chase my locks, padlock the door, and put up an eviction notice. Yeah, that was me. You? Why? Because you haven't paid your rent. Can I at least get my stuff? All I found in there was a jar of mustard and a couple of old cycle magazines. Wow! I have mustard? Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell. Composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Did you die in this house? How did you die?
was young, I used to wait on master and hand him his plate and pass the bottle when he got dry and brush away the blue tail fly. Jimmy crack on and I don't care. Jimmy crack on and I don't care. Jimmy crack on and I don't care. My master's gone away. And when he ride in the afternoon, I follow after with a hickory broom. Uh, the pony being rather shy When bitten by the blue tail fly Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care My nest is gone away One day he ride around the farm The fly so numerous they did swarm One chance to bite him on the thigh the devil take the blue tail fly Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care My master's gone away The pony run, he jump, he pitch He throw my master in the ditch He died and the jury wondered why The boy that was the blue tail fly Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care Jimmy crack on and I don't care Okay, Dave, that's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge, so fuck you. Over. Did you miss me? I just need some of y'all to hang. Actually, Lynn and just Dave and Justin. So, just oh yeah, we need to pick our topic, right? Yes, because I need the the votes in by next week because we got a short timetable. <laughs> okay, and we are live. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I am one of your hosts, and uh, here we have. Uh, um, what is this month, uh, about, uh, by the way? Anyone know? Second, this is, uh, rewatch month, so we're watching movies that the first time we saw them, we weren't really fans, but when we gave them another chance, our opinions may or may not have changed. And that would be Dustin. So, Dustin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what movie we are going to. So, well, tonight's movie is, I can't quite remember if it, it's sort of on the border, so it's either 1979 or 1980's The Changeling. Uh, apparently there's some other movie called The Changeling, but whenever I mention this movie... There's a couple. That's really good, too. Well, I've been, <laughs> I've been calling it, I've been calling it garbage, because it's really annoying... Um, I'll, try to t I'll try to tell people about this changeling, and they'll be like, oh, the Clint Eastwood, or whatever the fuck thing. And it's like, no, that one sucks. It, it just makes me mad. Anyway, <laughs> so this is one of my... So, previously on our Night of the Hunter episode, I talked about how I was sort of informed about a lot of the different horror movies by VH1 100 Scariest Movie Moments, and I don't recall... I don't recall what one what this one was. Um, I don't even know what scene they used because there are a lot of holy shit moments in this movie. Uh, but so the first time the first time I saw this was around that period, and I think I was pretty I was pretty busy at the time, so I don't think I really paid much attention to it. 
because it was going and I was like, huh, eh, that was it. And then I didn't see it for probably seven more years up until the summer, uh, well, I guess more spring. Um, more, more so uh, the spring when uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs had this as one of their weekly picks. So we watched this. Uh, I watched this again on Shutter with Joe Bob doing a co his commentary every oh, 20 minutes or so. And I was actually paying a lot more attention this time, and it was startling just how good the movie actually was. Like it was, it was getting me. Like it has. It's kind of hard to figure out where to begin. Because it's, I tend to not like ghost stories, except for, like, the really exceptional great ones, and this one works just so well. Like, the ghost isn't trying to, like, kill anybody or, like, scare anybody. Like, the ghost is just trying to get their attention. Uh, and it's... Well, at least till the end. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, the ghost, the ghost does, the ghost does, uh... It's a very subtle affair, though, for sure. Like, it fucking builds the suspense naturally, instead of trying to make it some, like, ooh, spooky ghost movie. Uh, it goes from very much just letting the situation set itself up. Like, the first half of the movie is kind of something you'd watch. It's well, the whole movie something you'd watch on, like, a lazy Sunday morning, you know? It's not like you're, let's freak our friends out in the middle of the night on, like, a fun B-movie binge. Kind <laughs> Although of that very beginning was very sudden. Yeah, this oh, is man. like some Sunday morning after a fucking, you know, a big griddle in your face, and you're just laying there like, I don't have anything to do today. Um, I think that's probably a mischaracterization, because, I mean, that you can you can definitely scare somebody pretty good with this movie. Like, there were a lot of moments where... Oh, sure. Like, I... slow burn uh, for the first part of it. I think it's slow burns, but kind of like... You know those fireworks where you light them and they spark really violently, but they burn kind of slow? That kind of slow burn is how I'd I say it's more one of those ones where you you start it and you're like, oh, this is kind of lame, and then two thirds of the way through it gets really fucking awesome, you know? Where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking actually, a lot of those slow burn kind of films, and I yeah. think this is probably one of them. Um, oh, it's amazing. I'm not taking well, anything away from that. Well, what I'm going to say is like most of the time with those films, you really should click in early and just kind of yeah. go with it um that will imp improve the impact later on definitely um i think this right. thing, i i was not thoroughly blown away on first viewing but probably it's because i had to watch it on my computer if i had the opportunity to really watch it on a proper screen i think that probably would have more impact um so yeah yeah, I have to thank Shudder for uh, ripping me off and basically refusing to give me a refund because I was one minute uh, short on them. Uh, no. So I have Shudder for a year with uh, uh, and without a refund. So I actually have this and uh, the uh, and the next film available because of that. 
And this is my first time watching it. Obviously, it must be yours, uh, Jake, because uh, you're yep. talking like it. And I, I learned the first time, don't watch it while I'm in bed. <laughs> because uh, I missed huge swaths of the movie as I was going in and out of consciousness. Um, <laughs> but I did return to it to make sure I caught it all. And... Uh, I'd say my first actual impression of it, because I don't count that, that first one as a first impression. I mean, that wasn't really any impression at all. Uh, which was, it was a slow burn, but it reminds me a lot of, actually a lot of uh, these types of films. It has a very similar aspect of, there is a ghost that is trying to get this message out, and that's what the haunting is about, is this ghost was wronged, and uh, they are doing it. I mean, I the ring, in a way, kind of put a play on that uh, theme by uh, saying, yeah, you figured it out, but that's not why I'm doing this. Good um, example. Real, real quick, uh, we got to also point out, uh, so we are, of course, a lot of what makes this movie good is the mystery and, like, learning what happened and why the ghost is doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. So we are going to spoil the bejesus out of this movie. So if you, <laughs> haven't seen it, of it. if you haven't seen it, like, this is your warning. Like, stop, stop now. Like, yeah. go watch it on Shudder. Uh, it's still on Shudder, right? Yes. Uh, it's on TV or something. I have, the, I have the Blu-ray. I, I, I watched my Blu-ray. Uh, but anyway, so if you haven't seen it, so stop listening, go see it, like, just drop whatever the hell you were doing, and sure it wasn't as important, and go see it, and then come back to us tomorrow, but from after this point, we are, we are in spoiler town, so, uh, continue the point, Brandon. But I don't, I was just gonna finish off by saying, uh, you know, one other thing on that particular type, uh, I'm going through the Empire uh, box uh, that I have, and I'm almost done with it. I'm actually proud of myself. They're awesome films, almost all of them uh, 80s fun. And I, was, I just hit the film Prison, which was a similar concept in a way. Again, Ghost was wronged. This ghost was a little bit less particular about not wanting to harm people. Uh, is that one with Kane? I can't remember. It's basically they're in a prison that was uh, reformed, and uh, the warden had basically... It's like Viggo Mortensen. Uh, yeah, uh, and he this ghost was killing everybody with, like, uh, chains and pipes and stuff at like the, that. At the end, the ghost, um, like, its corpse, like, pops out of the ground, and it's still strapped in the electric chair, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, that's Kane Hodder in that in that suit. Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, that I mean, that's a more violent version of it. But that's a formula that's uh, pretty tested and tried. One of the first ones I remember that that's been used in is an older film, which we should cover on this channel, by the way, called uh, The Uninvited, uh, which also amazing ghost story. Uh, my wife is actually not not one to like a lot of the slow burn early ghost uh, stuff, and she was she was uh, en enraptured by it. So definitely a 
awesome formula. And they executed it pretty darn well this way through uh, when I was when I was not laying down and half asleep. Yeah. Well, this that, is that was one of the. This is a pretty serious. This takes itself pretty seriously, like as a drama. Like everybody plays it straight, right? Uh, so it's it's almost it's almost kind of genre transcendent, and uh, that it's like Prison is a fun movie, but it's not like as it's not as grim as this. <laughs> this is it's almost yeah. like Night Stalker ish in a sense with the supernatural element of it. Oh. Uh, um. My, this is not my first time watch. Um, this is actually like maybe my first time actually sitting and watching it entirely. Because um, I, I would catch it on um, on TNT or, or something like that. Of that, and I'd catch that ending with that. Hand, well, towards the end with that hand, and, and I'd be freaked out or, or what whatnot at the time, you know. But. Um, as an adult, it doesn't freak me out as much. But there is elements of this film that are very freaky. Uh, I am, I am, I don't really believe in like spirit. I don't really, I don't believe in spirituality, and I am very not superstitious. And this movie freaks the fuck out of me. Like yeah, I, think- I've seen it like eight times, and I'm, I was sitting here still, kind of like. Oh my god! I rewatched a lot of the scenes, dude. Because uh, I think me and Dustin are in a very similar bit with this. Like, fucking this movie unsettles the fuck out of me. I don't know why. There's some things about, like, even that first scene where he like glimpses the person in the tub, like under the water. Mm-hmm. Even that was like already building like some crazy fear for me, you know. And then when you see it all unveiled. With the drowning the kid in the tub and oh all that stuff. Oh my god, like, that scene was incredible. Like, uh, was, holy shit, dude! This is he just he just has that vision. And like, did you did you notice he's like when they cut on the back, Did you when they cut back to him like after he's like had that play in his mind? Did you see how much sweat was just like pouring off him? <laughs> he like yeah. dropped his cigarette. He's staggering. Yeah, I, I, I could understand. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh my! It's just like, how do you deal with that? He would be mm. so scarred. Another favorite thing for me was his stern face during the oh. fucking yeah. uh, the the seance where he's just like skeptical. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's one thing I really appreciate about this movie too. It's like at first he's like, yeah, I don't know, man, I'm going nuts. And then, like something, we'll get to we'll get to it in more detail. Uh, but then something happens, and it's like, okay, something weird yeah, is happening here. Evidence, yeah. Like, and it's like, like, and he's just like, I can't okay. just think this is dumb anymore. This is clearly happening. This so is like, okay, well, we're just gonna. This is happening. Other people saw it too. All right, let's let's get this handled. Mm-hmm. Like, right. it doesn't play, uh, uh, yeah. um, I'm sorry, something distracted me, um, but I think that was one thing that 
I kind of hate it. That was one thing that I hated when we did our Exorcist episode, was how there was a bit of... Um, so, one of the points that somebody brought up was... Huh, something weird's going on. Uh, well, one of the points somebody brought up was that there was a sub-theme of, you know, oh, is there a scientific explanation for this? Uh, when, you know, somebody's head pops off their body and flies around the room, and it's like, oh, is there a scientific explanation? It's like, no. Oh, oh yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, and that was one thing that kind of offended me about The Exorcist, where something is overtly, obviously, like, going on, and people are like, well, I don't know. Uh, but with this one, uh, I really appreciate how everybody just, like, accepts, okay, we're just going to not worry about it. We're just going to address things as they're happening. So I, I admit, though, given the previous George C. Scott film I saw just a couple months ago, and that he stars in this one, it would have been nice to at least hear him go, humbug. At least humbug. <laughs> uh, excuse me. He kind of looked that, I think, from the Melvin Douglas character, but he had something to hide. Um. Ah, I keep losing my train of thought. This is so obnoxious. No, well, good, you've had like a long week and shit. You, you've been dealing with way more shit than most of us. There's some distracting, definitely stuff. But why don't we start with that? That. Anyway, so let's let's just jump into into the movie. Yeah. Um. So, this, awesome. the movie opens with, so our main character is John Russell, he is like a fa he's a somewhat famous composer and a music teacher, well, professor really, uh, and him and his family are, they're on vacation and they're pushing, I guess their car broke down because they're pushing a station wagon through the snow and it's, it's sort of got like kind of, it's got a very like organic feel to it. That's like, oh, yep, we're on vacation and we're having we're having some car trouble, but you know we're having a good time anyway. We're all together, and it's it's really kind of bright and funny. It is beautiful. Yep. The whole first theme like plays out in a way that immediately introduces you to the quality of the movie too, because the audio, like, uh, in as you move in on the scene, you know, it isn't bad. It's it's like you hear this family just pushing this out and laughing yeah, the, at them. Yeah, the production value is pretty clear right away, too. Like, it's very... Yeah. You know, you can That's tell true. that you're not going to see something, like, cruddy or cheesy. Like, it's very, very professional. I, I know I like the, the scene where um, he's riding the horse with, uh, uh, with that one um, lady. That kind of, that happens that happens in quite a while, but anyway, uh, so they manage to push the car like to the shoulder of the road, and he go he walks over to a payphone because you know 1980 payphone, and so while he's in, he's like, "Yeah, roadside assistance, please." You know, and his wife and daughter are just like, having a snowball fight in front of the car, in front of their stopped car, 
and it happens really fast. Uh, so a car appears out of nowhere, and this guy driving like a big truck like swerves to avoid the one car, and like rams right into their car, and he pushes their car like right over his wife and daughter. Like it's it's not bloody or gross or anything. Uh, you see like you see somebody's coat like go flying. Like these people are definitely dead. Yep. Like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like two or three minutes with these characters, it's like, oh, Dad, we're on a vacation. You know, it's like, well, maybe we'll go to Miami next time. <laughs> like, I mean, then, they did also grab the kid and lays down. If you watch it real slow, so so it's like, why wouldn't you at least try to move out of the way? You don't just lay down. What? Yeah, it, happened, it happened pretty. Fa- it happened pretty fast. Like I, it looked to me like she grabs her daughter and then like falls. They could have slipped. It was yeah. hard to say for sure. But yeah, it, it, it did almost look like they just sat in place, and it was like, come on, really? Then again, they were having a snowball fight in the road, which also wasn't the smartest thing. Well, they weren't. They weren't in the road. They were. They were on the shoulder. Standing in front of the car, and the the truck swerves onto the into them like on the shoulder. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a. I actually have to say though, I, I didn't hold this movie up as like above and beyond some of the stuff I've seen in the past. I still feel like that was an excellent draw in when it comes to a movie like this because. I mean, yeah, it was one heck of a hook. I, I ended up uh, being like, okay, well, I want to see where this goes from here. And uh, that that's, well, like you could say it started with a bang. <laughs> I will go ahead and comment the one thing that I was a little disappointed by was that they didn't seem to spend enough time, I thought, on his grief afterwards because we just kind of skipped that part. It's when we meet him again, he seems almost to be a well-adjusted life goes on, you know? Ah, but anyway, so... Uh... Well, after the accident, so we there, we kind of get some time has passed, and so he's sort of dealing with it, but he's still he's still pretty traumatized by it, and he gets offered a job teaching like at the at his old school. So that we so the first twenty or so minutes of the movie is more or less just set up to get him in the house. So we see him meet with. Like his um, meet with the rest of the faculty, it's like, oh, you know, we're so happy to have you he- have you back, you know, an alumni and a famous composer, you know, this is great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, where are you staying? It's like, hey, we'll contact the- we know some people at the historical society. They'll find some place for you. Uh, well, what a house it is. Yeah. So they they move him into this kind of absurd mansion. Like it's. Huge. Like, it makes me wonder, like, 
what kind of weight were they giving him on this place? Because <laughs> it's like, what, four or five stories? Yeah, all for just this dude making music. Like, that makes no sense. I think he kind of, like, wanted space. There's no, 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 you might have a better idea what tuition rates in that part of the country are. <laughs> well, it takes place in Seattle, so... Yeah. Maybe, maybe kind of high. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they're paying professors to come in and talk about, like, <laughs> when they used to make music. Because at this point, he's trying to write an album, too, or whatever. Yeah, you know how it is. Haunted houses are cheap. That might have <laughs> that might have been why he got a good rate of it. They never really go into details on that. Um, well, they did say that someone had put it the paperwork through that it wasn't supposed to, or at least according to that one person, they weren't supposed to rent it out. Yeah, because. The house has that has a so we learn that the house has a history. Like people haven't been able to live there, and they never quite explain why. It's more like, yeah, the house is weird. It doesn't want people. I, it's like I, I, really, I really like how he does the detective work later on uh, to, to figure all of that stuff out. You know, he is quite good. So he goes off of like the little things that kind of steadily start to build. So. The way this introduces its ghost is it's very subtle, like just little things at first, like the faucet turns on, or the key. I think the first glimmer that we get that something is up with this place is when he's at the piano and he's trying to play a note, but the note won't play, and he gets up to go do something else, and there's a close-up on the keyboard, and the note plays itself, and you see it, like, you see it oh, shit, go itself, and it's like... And, wait, did anybody else really appreciate the sound design on that? Where it's like, ting, like, it turns into a really ominous note. Are you talking about the, um, yeah. uh, the music uh, box? The music, or? I'm talking about the music drop oh, on, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I love that, and I love how they build you up to think that the, the main, like, bong, bong sounds aren't what they are, and until you realize what they are, you know? Like, like that I thought was, it was somebody oh, that was like, so great. jamming their hands down on the piano or something. And then, yeah, he's hearing, he's hearing a weird banging at night. Uh, and, you know, he does, like, log he does make, lo he does draw, like, logical conclusions first. So he has somebody, like, check the pipes. It's an old house. It makes noise. And he's like... Eh, I don't know. No, right. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not what I was hearing. <laughs> Noisy freaking pipes. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I will say this. From somebody's uh, perspective of living in an older house, uh, and uh, one that we have suspected has a haunting in it, there are some creepy sounds that sometimes happen at night in big houses. But, not like that, no. <laughs> so. See, I had to admit, yeah, I'm like a total, total skeptic when it comes to that stuff. Like, I don't know if it was ghosts, bro. Could have been 
I know. Um, I know that uh, Amityville is kind of along the uh, similar lines as far as entities trying to relay some kind of messages. Yeah, you know. But uh, but reading 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 the book of Amityville, sounds. There were some sounds that were uh, that that were supposedly heard in the living room of the Amitsville house that were not portrayed in the film, and uh, uh, to me, th those sounds of like a whole band, a whole band of drums. Like I love that shit so much. Like I love that fucking idea of. That stuff that you guys are talking about. Now, <laughs> Emily it's much more malevolent. I don't believe all of it, but it well, that's, not, that's why I just movies don't really work on me, except for like the really exceptional ones, like this one. Uh, although it's a good point. It's good that you. It's good that you mentioned Amityville, though, because I kind of want to watch Amityville now. <laughs> like I, I just got a hold of the Blu-rays a few weeks ago. Oh, you did finally. Uh, yeah, it was kind of stupid, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, that and some rose red shit would make my life good. <laughs> I haven't seen those red for quite a while. I'm all rose red. Awesome. I mean, I remember being unimpressed, uh, but I saw it on Sci-Fi Channel. So. Oh yeah. I think, it that stuff. I think the haunting cut down. The the haunting and the haunting remake fall along these lines too. Oh, so. <laughs> At least in that area of genre. No, I is our equipment haunted too? God damn! Sounds like it is. Well, any case, uh, I am a fan of haunted house movies, so this is always a fun thing. But yeah, I feel like it goes along. Like where a lot of these other ones, as I said, they're malevolent spirits. The spirit is not necessarily a malevolent one. Uh, I didn't see any part of this film, at least not at this point, or even even as far as midway down, where I felt like uh, the lives of anybody were really in danger other than, well, towards the end. But... Uh, Whereas Andyville, no, that that ghost wanted to kill some people. They want people dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like as I as I said earlier, so like this ghost is mostly trying to just get their attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and John is kind of the first person to really to really try to understand what's going on. So like uh so he's the only person to find that secret room up in the attic, and I thought it was a really clever way that they got him up there. So the ghost breaks out, breaks a window outward, like as he's walking around outside, mm -hmm. and he's like, "What?" And he's he's looking at this. It's like red stained glass, and he's looking at the face of the house, and there's only one room with that glass, and so it's very it's very like proceed like Dave said earlier. It's very detective. It's very detective movie feel feeling. Right. Uh, and he turns out to be a pretty good investigator in his own right. So he goes up there, you know, somebody built... He does, in a bunch fact, of shelves. 
he even refuses to uh, uh, tell the cops anything. You know, uh, he wants to figure it out himself. He he feels like uh, he must be the one to figure this out for mm. some reason. Well, that and know. you know, how's he going to explain it to the cops too? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a lot. I remember waking up on my first view and uh, seeing him unboarding that room, and I'm like, uh, that's a mistake. Don't do that. <laughs> He's going to piss off someone in the historical society tearing up this room. <laughs> I have to say, I really like that attic room, especially when he uh, first goes into, uh, into it. I mean, it's all cobwebby. I mean, you can definitely tell it has not been touched in any way, shape, or uh, uh, form. Because uh, there's dust on the frickin' door. I mean, you, you could dust see on the door. Dust. dust on the cobwebs. Dust everywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the room. I think that room was that room was bricked up. We later learn in something like 1910. And I'll, I'll admit that part was yeah, well, Certainly, it wasn't bricked up. Wasn't there one other movie that we? Wasn't there one other movie that we've done in the past uh, that that had something to do with a boarded up room? So far, like, wasn't there something in Deep Red? There has to. Oh yeah, that was a Deep Red thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they built. They built like. They put drywall over the doorway. There's always something like uh, that. That one room or place is just like covered up. I mean, prison had that where the execution chamber was cemented shut, and uh, the warden had made the mistake of having the people dig through it. Or the uh, the House on Haunted Hill remake, where the uh, secret room where they end up falling through it essentially, but still, you know. It- it's All funny. of these rooms boarded up. Well, along those lines, I had not realized starting off that this was, as Dustin said, not as much of a, a malevolent spirit exactly. Um, you don't really know that at first. You don't really know what to think. And I'll admit, when he was getting there trying to bust the padlock on the door, I was sitting there with this sense of kind of almost creeping dread of, what yeah. is wrong with you, man? What are you doing? Don't do it. Such a good scene. And like the and the ghostly the ghostly pounding like starts matching the hand yeah, pounding. Exactly. Like the ghost is trying to hit it too. Right. That was so fucking brilliant. Like this has so many like just good decisions in terms of especially sound design and like, building drama. I'm glad that Brandon mentioned the ring earlier because um uh, the ring has something to do with a well, and so does this film. Oh yeah, uh, we don't quite get to that for a while, though. <laughs> but um, you know, this this movie has a fairly clear progression of events. Like they happen really quick too. I mean, it's not it's it's a fairly long movie. It's it's almost two hours. Yeah. Uh, but the first moves... half of it is like some slow burn shit, just getting to deal with like this guy and like how I think his life kind of became helpless or whatever. Well, part of what they kind of imply is, so they find some stuff in that room, uh, 
that gives them kind of a startling like way to look. It's like, okay, who lived? They find some folders marked 1909, and so they're like, okay, who lived in the house in 1909? And they find a newspaper article about the family that lived there. Uh, the mother died when the kids were young. Oh, the kids were already young. Uh, and there was the father, a brother, and a sister. And the sister was killed in a coal cart accident, similar to how his daughter was killed. And so it seems like there's like a bit of an extra connection between him and the boy's ghost. Uh, and that seems to be kind of that seems to be kind of they don't really explore it all that much, like other than a few lines of dialogue. But that might have been why he was able to like meaningfully connect with the ghost and start solving this mystery. I think this may have been why the ghost, well, like you said, how they were able to find that connection. But again, this was one of the things that frustrated me because I felt like they didn't go, they didn't put enough exploration into his mental state. Because I'm sorry, I I gotta think that finding that out must have been at least mildly traumatizing for him. But it seemed more like, oh, isn't that interesting? No wonder the ghost is talking to you. It's like, I don't know. And then we haven't really talked about the connection he, he makes with the lady from the historical society who gets him in the house in the first place. She seems to have kind of the hots for him from the get-go. Um, <laughs> and he seems to reciprocate it in his own distracted way. Again, you, I would have thought there would have been a little more of a struggle on his part, you know? Or, well, I think, uh, I think he's kind of happy to have some purpose again. Yeah. Because uh, when you see him packing up his house before he moves to Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, you can kind of tell that he's just been, you know, I think he even talks about mm -hmm. it a couple times. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I just walk around my, the old apartment mm -hmm. feeling like they should be there. And but it's a couple scenes of that, a couple images of him imagining her and whatever. And I'll admit, there are a couple of scenes, like the scene with the ball coming down the stairs. Oh, man. He's that, it away. that was a good scene. Did anybody notice the ball was wet, too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that was a good touch. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so kind of back to progression. Uh, so he starts hearing the noises. So he walks into the bathroom and sees this child's ghost, like, in the tub. And he just kind of calmly, like, turns around and walks out. And he's like, whew. I see nothing. <laughs> he's like, holy shit. Like, this, this movie did have some unintentionally funny moments like that. Where, like, the characters are so mortified by the things they're experiencing that it's, almost, that it's kind of comedic, like, how they react. Like, uh, so anyway, that happens. He starts hearing the noises. Uh, the glass gets him to go find the, the secret room. And let's see, what happened? What exactly happened after that? I'm trying to remember what happens between that and the seance. Well, doesn't he, um... Go uh, go through a series of uh, floor plans of the uh, the, uh, the homers that later. Uh, he does do that, and he does that after the sands because the sands is where he gets a lot of the information okay. to continue on. 
Oh, yeah, that's pretty much the point in the movie where it's like, well, this is super awkward, but we're moving forward, and now we know there's, like, some supernatural boogaboo going on here. Yeah, he goes and, to the college has, like, a psychic research department because it's the 70s, and that used to kind of be a thing. It and was. Like, no, so, well, most of this stuff is bullshit, but every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll set you up with somebody. <laughs> yeah, they should have gotten Peter Vakeman to come out and uh, do that. Uh, he was in one of those. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> there's a scene in Casper. Uh, you guys are. You guys know Casper, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a scene in Casper mm-hmm. where they're trying to like exercise Casper's uncles, and there's a cameo where somebody who looks like he's supposed to be Ray is like, "Who are you gonna call? Somebody else!" And he runs out of the house. Yeah. We're definitely fucking like you. The main character is like slammed it down, and then the old guy starts crying. Oh, um, yeah, like that's so awkward. Yeah, like, like, such you. One hell, such a hell of a climax. Like, <laughs> I think the first one is the the seance scene. So, um. Do you guys remember a whole lot about the seance? Or? The, se- the seance is where uh, it, it seems like there are... Normally when the seance is held, there's other people who, uh, who come to the seance or who are looking to speak to uh, their, uh, their in-remitted dead. Uh, so you, uh, you have you have the main character and his lady friend and uh, the, the seance and her helper and, of course, there's, like, one or two other random people who evidently believe that their loved ones are out there somewhere. And, uh, uh, they, they kind of call out the spirit in, in this, uh, this, uh, this sense. And, uh, uh, Dustin, uh, why, why don't you take it from here? Okay, so, uh, so, well, uh, so, they start the seance. And nothing quite happens at first, so, uh... I know that there is a, a, a metal cone in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of the table, and this is, a, a, like, the second break up the cone. I think they break up the cone in the second part yeah. of the sequence. Yeah. Because the part, well, there were two different parts. What do they call that? There's, like, a certain name that I don't know what they call that. They're, they're writing without looking. Um, I know there's a name for that. But yeah, so they do that. And I know at this point they have an idea in their mind that that they're probably going to be talking to the little girl. And this is where they find out that the spirit is someone else entirely. And so that was kind of an interesting... Yeah, they, they start by asking basic questions. So, you know, are you the child killed by the coal cart? No. And it gets, so, yeah, she's she's doing, like, this in a trance. She's you know, just, like, writing on paper, and sometimes the answers will come, will come out in the writing. It's like, are you the child killed by the coal cart? No. What is your name, Joseph? Like, That's actually the, the, ta- the tagline uh, on the Blu-ray. Huh. Did you die in this house, Joseph? Why do you remain? And it gets it gets steadily creepier and creepier, 
I think it gets more creepy uh, after the seance because uh, uh, he's he's sitting there going back in the recording, kind of like uh, kind of like um yeah they um, they take the seance using yeah. the machine that he's using to record his music, and so he's listening to it, and he kind of he he stops cold when he realizes that. The recording picked up a voice that none of them heard during the seance. Um, and, it, and at first, it sounded like a man, but but then as it as it got creepy, as it got on, you oh, hear a little child's voice. You could, you could tell it was a child. It's just like a child's whisper. It's, what is your name? Yeah. It's like, oh, Mike, and, like, <laughs> he, 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 he drops the cigarette that he's smoking, and he's like, like, he, he totally sells, like, the shock. Kind of reminds me of uh, some of the moments you get in The Sixth Sense, where um, he's, uh, he's listening back to the recordings, and you start hearing voices underneath all that, you know. Uh, conjecture vo uh, voices, um, you know, and it's just as creepy oh. in this film, uh, especially when you figure out exactly what the fuck it's saying, you know. Actually, that scene uh, it, it also kind of puts me in mind. Um, I think I said earlier, and I didn't. I don't know if it was uh, heard. Uh, we were talking about similar movies, and and the idea of a ghost trying to connect without harming. Reminded me a lot of the Devil's Backbone, and the ghost in that one is known as the one who sighs, and that seems like a really good description for this for Joseph at this moment because it's almost like sighing the words. He's not really saying them so much as sighing them. Uh, and by the way, the term I was trying to think of is automatic writing, or I guess the correct term is psychography. So yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the Devil's Backbone is a perfect example of this type of storytelling. Yep. Well, you have a ghost that's trying to convey a message. It's not a necessarily malevolent spirit, and uh, a lot of people trying to figure out what the heck is going on. But with the Devil's Backbone, it added an extra factor in there. I still haven't seen that, well. by the way. Another one oh, that, yeah. that reminds me of this film is Stir of Echoes. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Still yeah. away from the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> As Peter actually speaking of, I was going to say, when they make the inevitable remake of this movie, maybe Guillermo del Toro will oh, be well, I would maybe accept a Guillermo del Toro remake, but I, I don't see any way they could actually remake this like in a way that would be remotely as good. I mean, like, Crimson Peak, that's another one of similar concept. It's more of a fantasy-type setting, but at the same time, Crimson Peak has a very similar concept. It's a murder mystery with the ghost trying to hint at we were fucked over, and I need your help to get through your thick head that <laughs> this dude killed me. <laughs> right. Of course, yeah. in this one, the ghost is more the central focus. In both of the Del Toro films, the ghost is more there. It's not mm -hmm. really the central focus. 
But oh, yeah. dang. Now I remember. I can't believe we forgot the order on that. Um, so what makes him go talk about, go talk to the guy to, that, to, to set up the seance in the first place is the ball scene. So he's sitting there composing, he's sitting there working on his music, and he hears the ball, his daughter's ball, which he kept in a cupboard downstairs, he hears it bounce down the stairs, and he watches it roll across the floor, and he's like, huh. And this is one of the movie's kind of funny, but unintentionally moments. So he drives out to a bridge, throws it in the, ri in a river, in the river, drives back, shuts the door, turns around, and the ball bounces back down the stairs, except it's wet from being in the river. And he just, like, stares at he like stares at it and just, like, puts up himself up against the wall. Like, he's trying to, like, stay as far away from it as possible. <laughs> and so that's when he gets the sense. But that's one of the... Actually, I think that was... I think that was the moment they used in that documentary when they were, like, scariest movie moments. And it's, like... Yeah, you know, because it's it's such it's kind of like a mundane thing. It's like, oh yeah, it's just a ball bouncing down the stairs. It's like, but it's the way it's like shot and the sound that the music that goes with it. It's like mind-numbingly frightening. Very effective. Uh, but anyway, so while he's playing tape and he's starting to hear the ghostly voice, uh, we get our first flashback to what really happened in that secret room. So, we learn that the ghost is a crippled child who was confined to a wheelchair, and his father drowned him in, a, in his bathtub. And the banging noises that we heard, that John kept hearing, were like him like, banging on the sides of the tub, you know, trying not to drown. So, like, there's an explanation for everything that's, that appears in this movie, which I, kind of, which I really appreciated. It's like, all of the stuff that the ghost does, like, makes sense. Like, turning on the faucet, you know, drowned, water. You know, the specific noises that the ghost was making in the house are noises like, that he made, like, as he was dying. Uh, even, a kind of a nice touch that I didn't pick up on until recently was, so the music that John's been composing, um, so during the struggle, like, a music box is knocked open and it starts to play, and... John wrote the music that John had appear in his head. Uh, yeah. Ah, I keep getting distracted by our chat. Ah. Uh, anyway, John wrote the melody, the melody from the music box, even though nobody's heard it for several decades, and there's pretty much no way he could have heard the music box. He could have heard the lullaby from the music box. So I think that was another way the ghost was trying to communicate with him, too, like on some subconscious level. And so after he sees that, you know, that's when we get the scene. Uh, oh, where'd he go? That's where we get the scene where, like, as soon as that flashback ends, you know, he's got this visibly traumatized look on his face, like he's just caked in sweat. You know, he staggers up out of his chair and calls his friend, and then he immediately just, like, faints standing up. Like, it's pretty... It, it was pretty powerfully acted. Like, what'd you guys think of that? Mm -hmm. That's it? <laughs> 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 oh, well. Uh, I thought it was pretty... Uh, 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 pretty intense. 
So this movie, what makes this movie so good is that it has, like, such scaling intensity. So it'll have, like, these really high, like, dramatic peaks, and then it'll kind of calm down for a little bit, but it'll still sort of, it's almost like a stepped line graph. And that, like, it gets to a new level. It takes things to, like, a new level in each of its big, like, scenes. And then it kind of stays sort of at that level, even though something maybe not too dramatic is happening at the moment. Because after, after that, when they've, they've had, they've had the vision, they've, they know the reality of, like, what happened there. And they're like, okay, well, how do we prove this? And then we get another real good, like, heart-stopping moment, too. So, like, his his friend from the Historical Society, I can't remember her name, so I, I wonder if she had the vision, too, because she is really visibly upset when she's there. Like, what did you... Did you guys get that impression, too, or... that maybe she saw it, too? Um... I, th- I I think I got the impression that maybe she might have seen it too, you know? I mean, it really... It, it's hard to describe uh, because it was uh, just that intense, you know? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of what makes this movie so good is the delivery and the way that the actors play the scenes. And that's, that's a little hard to... In, like, an audio medium, it's kind of hard to describe, like, and really do it justice. Uh, but, yeah, we get one of our... So, this was a scene... The... What happens during that scene is something that I... Uh... Ah, stupid chat. I keep getting distracted by that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this chat off. <laughs> um... Oh. But so, both of the tensions are kind of high as they're, like, realizing the gravity of what happened upstairs and, like, why the ghost is here. And she steps into the hallway, you know, and she she's already sort of hysterical. It's like, you know, what are we going to do? What? And she just stops talking and freezes, like, looking at something off camera. And uh, I think I actually, I think this this scene made, I've seen this movie so many times, and this scene still made me shout, like, oh my god. <laughs> like, <laughs> during this moment, she looks at the stairs, and the kid's wheelchair has gone from the secret room, down several extra flights of stairs, and it's rocking back and forth at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and it's like... How can you, how are you still sleeping in this house? <laughs> how the hell that uh, they were able to get that, uh, that wheelchair? And that was an old-ass riggedy wheel, wheelchair. You know, it had to be kind of clunky. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. And I know that uh, uh, there are some wheel- the ghost put it there. <laughs> I know that there are some wheelchairs. I know that there are some wheelchairs that are set up where you where they actually can slide down the staircases like that, but that was going through multiple locked doors. <laughs> I mean, it came down the attic stairs, down mm-hmm. around the uh, the hallway, down the fucking stair uh, staircase at her. Opened she, at least six or seven doors. I'm at least certain 
that she should have at least broken a leg or something like that down those stairs, you know. Now, I found both wheelchair scenes kind of a mixture between what I considered creepy and comical at the same time. I mean, uh, like, you can, you can laugh when you see it at the top of the stairs, too, because it's like, oh my god. Like, because there's still a little bit of, it's like, are you sure this is really, because she's still a little bit like, are you sure this is really happening and you're, you're maybe not, uh, you maybe haven't let, let the stress get to you? And then it's like, nope. Overt proof. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like a when pigs fly, and then you're immediately attacked by a flying pig. <laughs> but uh, anyway, then we get into like the mystery segment of this movie. So they find out, okay, you know, this is the kid's name, uh, Joseph Carmichael. You know, they find out a bit more about, like, his sister and his father. So, it turns out, so, was he, was the Senate, was he a senator or the governor? I think it was the governor, so. Uh, the senator. senator. Well, I think his son was the senator, and he was the, the governor. Senator. Uh, so, it turns out the governor of the state uh, is, quote, is Joseph Carmichael. Um, so that was his family house, and so the movie becomes more of like, we don't necessarily get a whole lot of ghost action for a bit after that, as they start investigating, uh, more of what happened. Yeah, that, uh, that political uh, stuff, that's kind of a backstory, almost, uh, that's going on in the background, because, um, you see him make a speech, Really early on, they like they introduce him. He doesn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah, and yeah. he actually he has a whole endowment for the historical society. The so he kind of has some power. He has he has a decent amount of power over like the house too. Well, and from what I gathered, uh, he was actually like in the last few years of his whatever reign or whatever. So that uh, in fact, that's what some of the reporters were I think talking about. At the time, oh yeah, he's coming up on the end of his term. Yeah, coming up on the end of his ter uh, 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 term, but he's getting up there in years or something like that. Yeah. So, um, but uh, in any ca uh, uh, ca case, uh, he made the speech. Uh, I believe at the end of the speech, he made the speech really early on when they were just kind of showing, you know, what John's life in Seattle was like. It's like okay, he's going out to the to an or to like an orchestra performance at this opera house, you know, it's like, oh, there's the governor, he's giving a speech. And then later he gets a phone call. Later he gets a phone call from one of the historical ladies about Mr. Russell. About, uh, about the fact that uh, she thinks that he's figuring shit out. <laughs> so, well, it's, it's kind of, so it's, pretty clear by the end that he had no idea the murder took place. It's j it was just, you know, oh, that's my family's old house. You know, it's kind of weird and people can't live there. So, one of the old, the old lady from the Historical Society seems to be kind of keeping tabs on anybody who's living in the house, just for his sake, pretty much. Uh, at least that was the impression I got. I, 
I know I was at least per, uh, first worried about what the detective uh, the, uh, that was called was, was going to do. Because <laughs> he came off all hard-ass, you know? He, he walked, uh, wa- uh, walked in and... Well, it happened, that happens a little later. So um, during the seance, when he's playing the seance tape, um, John ends up grabbing a pencil himself, and while he's having the vision, like, he writes a, a lot of stuff down. So, including, like, metal, well, the ranch. So, they find out, you know, the Carmichaels did used to have a ranch. You used to have a ranch, and there was a well on the ranch. So, they look at the city document, at the city documents, and it's like, okay, a house was built on top of there. And so, they go there, and they're talking to this lady. It's like, hey, um, there's a well somewhere under one of your floors. Uh, we'd like to check it out, because, and they pretty much tell her their their whole story. And the lady's like, you know, I wouldn't even, even let you in here, but something you said about that sense, you said it was three nights ago? So three nights ago, my daughter had a really intense nightmare about a boy under her floor? And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> a very thin boy uh, that, uh, that w- uh, was coming from the floor and staring at her. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, just the way that it sounds just is kind of creepy, uh, to be honest. And then, of course, you, uh, that kind of foreshadows a scene that comes a little bit later. <laughs> and well, I, I that was another kind of comic moment that we got to. It's like, well, this is the room that it happened in. Mm-hmm. I. I I thought it was kind of interesting how um, uh, Russell went ba- uh, back into the um, well after they found the bo- uh, body, and uh, uh, th- that chain just came up from out of the dirt. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, um, so she's like, well, I don't, you want to tear this room apart, don't you? And he's like, well, yeah. And she's like, think about it. And then there's like, pretty much right away that night, like, the way it's cut is, is actually pretty funny, so... Um, the little girl sees the, her daughter sees the ghost again, and it cuts right from the girl seeing the, the boy appear on the floor, and her screaming to them, chainsawing into the floor, because she's like, alright, start, start digging, <laughs> get it out. <laughs> uh, like, it, it's difficult to describe, but I, I actually laughed at that pretty hard. So it's like, well, I don't know if I'll let you, uh, tear up my floor. Yep, sees ghost again. <laughs> They're immediately tearing up the floor. <laughs> um, but anyway, so they find the old well, and John goes down there, and he's digging around, and they find they find the, the child's skeleton down there. So they call the cops. The cops dig out the body. Uh, what they're looking for is so during the during the murder flashback. Uh, the boy has this little, like, medallion piece of jewelry. And it's very distinct, and so that's what they're looking for in the grave, but nobody finds it. And later, John breaks back into the house, and he's digging through the well, because he knows it has to be there, because, well, he was told it was there. And so he's, he's failed to find it, and he's... He, it looks like he's kind of giving up, and the chain pulls itself out of the dirt... Like at his feet, and he's like, "Huh." Yeah. So it's like an it's an engraved 
thing from some church. You know, Joseph Carmichael, 1900. Mm-hmm. And so, in, our, in the last act of the movie, so he finally confronts the governor with this knowledge. And I think that's my favorite scene, because it's, it's so powerfully acted. Uh, oh, okay, so I am getting ahead of myself again. So he tries to talk to the governor as the governor is, like, getting on at an airport, like, trying to go somewhere. It's like, you know, I've been living in your house. I have this thing. And it's like, and he, he basically gets tackled by security. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen, man? Yeah, exactly. And then the senator, uh, he doesn't necessarily seem to be a great guy, let's just say. Uh, and he's like, hey, uh, put in a call to the cops. Uh, tell him to just tell, tell him I want Captain what was it, Captain DeWitt, to go, he basically sends the cops, he basically sends this detective to go intimidate John, it's like, you know, I don't know what you're, tr- what kind of blackmail thing you're trying to pull, and he's like, what? But, so he basically has, like, this cop come and threaten John, and in another kind of unintentionally funny moment, so the detective, Lee, the detective threatens John, uh, they get his historical society friend fired. They're like, you know, their lease is up. You've, they've canceled your lease. They want you out. And the detective leaves and is immediately killed in a car accident. So I think you had some stuff to say about that, right, Mo? Mo? Well, I don't know about him, but I did find that an interesting scene because it takes a ghost that wasn't hurting anybody and then the ghost decided at that point, no, we're not going to have any blocks to uh, my vengeance and then just uh, decide to strike right on out. And that was uh, really impressive there. (laughs) He just kills the shit out of that guy. So... Anyway, so when the governor finds out that, it's like, what do you mean the detective's dead? It's like, you know what, fine, I'll meet with this guy. And so we have, I think, my favorite scene of the movie, where the entire mystery is just laid out, um, and it's a little complicated to remember all the details, like, off the top of my head. Uh, But so, basically... uh, the child, the children's mother, was the one who had all the money, and as long as they were alive, um, like, meh. Does anybody else remember this? Yeah, the the point of it was essentially the reason for him killing the one child is. So long as the child was alive, that child was going to be the center of the inheritance. Unfortunately, if this child does not see adulthood, all the money would then go into charities. And hence the uh, motivation for the adoption and so on. And and murder. And as we found out, uh, the original child, he was uh, an invalid. He... He was very weak, um, and uh, he was often in and out of doctor uh, doctors' offices. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, wasn't he mental, uh, mentally institutionalized? Uh, I don't think he was. I don't think that was it. I think he was just like very sick. Like 
Uh, some sort of arthritis or something. Yeah. Weird. So, so, to back, so to back up just a bit and to fill it in a little bit, the boy's grandfather had stipulated that the money would would go to the the boy when he turned twenty, and that there was he had to survive to twenty, for or the money would go to the charities. So basically, the son-in-law was desperate to get that money, pretty much. So that's yeah. kind of yeah. So what he did was, so he murdered, so he murdered the child, and just you know, picked an orphan from the nearby orphanage, and then it, and then sent him off to Europe to a boarding school in Europe, where it's like, oh yeah, they have a special treatment in Europe, you know. Well, you know, he that's where he went, right? Uh, and then. He didn't have him, and he didn't bring him back until he was 18. So, you know, enough time had passed that nobody questioned it. Right. Yeah, well, kind of amazing the stuff you could get away with, you know, at the turn of the 19th century. Right. 20th century? Yeah, it always confuses me. Well, it was definitely a very intriguing story, uh, to say the least. I mean, uh, which comes uh, comes about as to, uh, to what the changeling is all about, which is which was basically just a changing of a changing of the children. <laughs> a changeling is a thing from Celtic fairy tales. Um, it's basically it's basically like a a fairy kind of thing, where they'll take a human baby and replace it with, like, a fairy baby. Right. So, it's, uh... Can we... Pretty much about that, and that's what I think of. Can we entirely put that tale with this film? I'd say it closely. It's appropriate. Yeah, um, yeah possible. You know, they're switching out, because they're switching out... You know, you're you're switching out kit. You're switching out, like you're killing one kid and switching that. Uh, switching that kid. Exactly. Right. So, and in the changing myth, like I don't think the children are killed. Um, no, they're just switched out. Depends. I, I'm sure there are a lot of different versions of that of that right. story. It's it's one of those European legends that I'm not. Hundred percent familiar with, but I know the but I you know the gist of it. And so anyway, there's you know the movie's climax is this really powerful scene where he just lays this all out, and the governor is like, "How much do you want for this farce you've concocted?" It's like, it's like this isn't about blackmail, like, and you can tell he's kind of offended. It's like, why do you keep thinking I'm trying to blackmail you? Like. You know, the, the point is to just get the truth out, and I think one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite lines from that exchange is, it's like, it really scares you, doesn't it? You've suspected something was wrong all your life, and the way, like, the look on the governor's face is just like, you know, that's exactly what's going on inside. <laughs> and it's like, you know, here's the real medal, and he puts it, like, on the counter, you know, here are the documents on file that more or less prove it. Mm -hmm. Here's the tape of the seance. It's the only copy. You know, do with them what you will. I have done my part. It's like, don't you tell anybody about this? And it's like, 
<laughs> I have, like I said, I have done my part. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he, he definitely wasn't in it for the money. He, he just wanted the right people to know uh, what, what he had figured out, and he wasn't trying to blackmail or anything. My father was a good man. He was a good mm-hmm. man, but you're accusing him of because <laughs> the governor has been this like kind of gruff like stern character every time we've, we've seen him and like he sells like how badly this shakes him like so well like mm-hmm. I, I can't praise the act the, this movie's one of those movies big highlights is like strong dramatic acting mm-hmm. and you know we really see it like in full force in that in that big scene well, I mean, you've got the, uh, the both of them, the both of the uh, people there in that scene, you know, are, are both acclaimed Oscar-nominated actors. I think both Oscar-winning actors. You know, Melvin Douglas was, uh, let's see, he won for Being There and for HUD. So, double winner. So, yeah, he definitely is a renowned actor. I think uh, Scott won for Patton, didn't he? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, like that Scott also did have his moment in the sun as uh, Scrooge and, you know, some of those other roles. (laughs) And then, of course, Dr. Strangelove. Great film. uh, Anyway, so after, uh, well, after that, so... You know, he's look. So after that, John leaves, and for some reason, uh, does anybody remember real the historical society lady's name? Because that's quite the mouthful. Uh, I don't think Claire. I think that's not. I don't think that's right, though. His lady friend or the meddler? Uh, lady friend. Well, that was Claire. Yes. Oh, that was Claire. Yeah. Dang. I guess they're taking more chances on remembering names, because apparently I'm doing it success- successfully and just not realizing it. But anyway, so for, for some reason, Claire decides, oh, I'll go out to the house. Uh, which seems to just be kind of an excuse to get her in the house during, like, its intense psychic meltdown kind of and thing. And while he was still out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, she had to have known that, uh, that that he was not answering for a reason. <laughs> yeah, she goes in for some reason. She goes up the stairs and she's chased. She's pretty much chased out of the house by the chair, which just comes screaming out of nowhere. Uh, and then he gets back around that time. And, you know, they get out of the house, and he's like, you know, I have to go back. And she's like, no, you're not going back in there. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. And he pretty much, pretty much almost falls to his death, like, going up the stairs. Like, part of the banister breaks. And the house starts bursting into flame. Like, there's this really cool effect where just the banister, like, ignites, like... Um, I'm trying to think of a good... You know, like a silly straw, like how the water like makes like loops through it, like like this. A fire starts in this, I think, from the secret room and like spirals down the staircase, like following like the banister all the way down. And you can see it kind of like making loops, you know, with the curve of the wood. Like it's 
it's one of those things that looks incredibly cool when you see it, but it's difficult to describe with words. Uh, and the house is pretty much destroyed in like a psychic meltdown. Like I was making a comment to somebody earlier. It's like, you know how the house gets sucked into another dimension at the end of Poltergeist? Like, what happens to the house in the Changeling makes that other, makes the Poltergeist house look slightly less haunted? Because mm -hmm. it pretty much explodes like the witch school in Suspiria. Did anybody else kind of get that, that vibe from it? A little bit. Where is everybody? Come on, guys. Huh. <sighs> I got that vibe a little bit. I don't recall the poltergeist enough to really have thought of that. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, during this, so the, the governor's been looking at the fake metal that he's been wearing his whole life and the real metal, which was taking off of the real Joseph, and he puts it like on the, he has a, a painting of his father like on his desk, and he puts the metal on the painting of his father, and the desk starts shaking violently, and then he has the vision, too. So, while John is in the burn in the house as it's burning, he sees, like, the goat, he sees, I don't know if it's, like... I almost feel like it's astral projection. Yeah, it's, it's like an astral projection of the governor. I almost said the spirit of the governor is walking up the stairs towards the secret room, and as soon as he's clear of the stairs, the stairs collapse... Yeah. And so that's... So the senator's astral projection, or whatever it is, you know, walks into the secret room where, you know, now he sees the vision of the murder, and it, it's it's kind of too much for him. Like, he, he has a heart attack and, like, dies pretty much on the spot, you know, when he sees his dad kill you know, the real Joseph. And, you know, the room explodes, like, it just, like, blows out. Like, it's... It is nuts. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, because when I re we saw when I watched it again on Shudder, um, and it was like, holy shit, I don't remember this at all! <laughs> well, well, that's okay. Um, uh, I, I thought at the end... Um, I can talk about the end now, right? This is the end, yeah. Okay, well, um... I thought at the end, not only was the music box playing, but the first time I watched this, I thought the ro uh, the wheelchair was rocking for some reason. And then when I saw it this time, it wasn't rocking. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what, whether I was thinking of a totally different movie or what. <laughs> That's one of the cool things about this, is that there are, there are, sort of, there are little things that it kind of subtly sets up. Um that your mind fills in some blanks that may not have necessarily been there. Um, but so, like, the senator dies, the senator dies, and the house burns to the ground, and the last shot that we see is the wheelchair, like, now burned out, just sitting amongst the rubble, and the music box pops open and starts to play. Another creepy note to end on. Another thing I thought uh, happened in this movie the first time around is when he was down there digging for the hand uh, or digging for uh, for the body. Um, 
I thought that he got trapped down there for some re uh, reason, and uh, seeing this this time uh, time around, that didn't happen. So maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of a similar movie. <laughs> oh yeah, that that uh, I think uh, when you were talking about the ring earlier, there are definitely parallels to that end. But of course, yeah. I feel like uh, the ring kind of throws it for a loop. Whereas uh, this ghost is not necessarily a malevolent spirit, but does want the revenge. The it ring is, it is a very malevolent spirit, and also wants revenge. This spirit is <laughs> only malevolent when it doesn't get what it's uh, what it wa uh, what it wants entirely. And get in the way of the investigation. Yeah, yeah. The detective is like, "I'm gonna shut you down." Bam! And you get killed. <laughs> well, and uh, when Russell goes back inside the uh, the house. That fire that is coming down the staircase uh, uh, toward him—that is fu uh, fucking scary as all hell. You see it start like from all the way above and come down to uh, 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 towards, and you—you uh, you almost think like uh, the spirit is trying to um, hurt him in some way. And and in in a sense, Russell does get somewhat he hurt. Pretty, he takes a pretty hard fall off the yeah. stairs. But yeah. it's more like it, he's done his job. He needs to just go. You know. You know. <laughs> Get out. I'm done with you. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> you are the weakest link. <laughs> that last scene at the house when you see the fire come down the banister, that really was set up wonderfully. I, I do agree. That has a uh, nature. But it really wasn't scared or even really all that creeped out through this film that was a that was a very well done scene and it uh, definitely yep. had a suspenseful nature to it yep, yep. i would have to say my favorite scene if i were to say a favorite would be that last uh, a little bit directly uh, starting with the astral projection um and going onwards and i guess my second favorite scene would probably be where russell is going back and listening to the recordings and he's figuring out what the fuck it's saying you know um is since uh, uh, I, I just figured i'd go on about that real quick well <laughs> <laughs> um, we do favorites or are we uh... Uh, yeah we we made we well did we tackle uh, special features, uh, effects, and the music? Mm -hmm. Well, the music in this was pretty amazing. Like, all of it... I mean, I, I don't think I can praise it enough. Like, wow. The music box theme was quite nice, and they did use it very effectively. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. It had some almost jump scare kind of moments, like with the music, but they still felt really organic. Like they didn't feel like forced or horned in. Mm -hmm. It's like something really scary would happen, and you'd kind of want to jump anyway, and then the music would just amplify it. <laughs> like not just like cheap, not just not like something shitty and cheap. Like like say like Insidious, where it's like, oh look, here's a face, haha. <laughs> you know, not. With dignity, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, anybody else have anything to say about music? 
Well, the music was uh, done by Rick Wilkins, uh, uh, from what I can see here. Um, apparently, he was... Let's see... He was the composer for a few th uh, things, but not nothing really as extensive as this. The main the main music box theme though was it was Howard Blake, so that was something else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, who uh, apparently Mr. Blake uh, did the score for Flash Gordon, which we did very recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, uh, well, I mean, I think we've kind of we kind of hit on character. All the movie comments. Who's got some comments on character? Well, I think we have kind of touched on them overall. Again, I do think the character of the senator was pretty cool. That was a. Uh, he was well done, well acted, interesting character overall. Um, I I still feel like they could have done better with John Russell, but overall he was a pretty interesting character, a good one to hang the film on. Yeah, everybody everybody was really believable in this. Like, I mean, they they all came off as ordinary people. The police captain was a little one note, but you know, well, he was just—he was just there, like muscle, right? Not into you know, leave the senator alone. Yeah. I guess I kind of liked that uh, uh, that little death scene uh, with the detective too. I mean, you—you you didn't expect his death entirely. You know, the mirror cracked, and you—you saw, you saw a vision of his death. You know, so. Mm -hmm. And then it just cuts immediately to him, like, get on the road. <laughs> Upside down in the fucking car. It's like, 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 yeah, nobody knows how it happened. It's like, oh, that's, that's fucked up. <laughs> no. He was driving along, his car literally inverted, and glass flew into his face. They didn't <laughs> even see that the inversion. Really, <laughs> that actor, John Colicos, would go on to voice Apocalypse in the X-Men animated series. It's amazing. Never know what your connections you'll find. Weird. <laughs> oh, I found a connection to uh, Amityville in here, I think. Um, evidently, the Blake uh, character, he did the mu uh, music for Amityville 3D. Hmm. Alright. And, uh, the one character, I don't remember which, was it Miss Norman? No, it wasn't Miss Norman. It was, uh, was it Leah Harmon? Was that? I don't know. The one that was the meddler in the, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Historical Society. Uh, she was, uh, kind of amusing. <laughs> Yeah, and she, she's the one that kind of uh, uh, gave us the odds, uh, onslaught message that uh, that nobody can ever live in the house, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, 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 and uh, evidently, the uh, the she she uh, he signed the lease prematurely or some shit. So, or she didn't go through the right channels to do it. 
<laughs> so, in any case, uh, where's Brandon? Oh, there he is. Welcome back. Uh, Hi. Hey, uh, I got I've gotten kicked off this a couple of times tonight. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't like me tonight. Um, yeah, it's been it's been an yep. interesting one since. Uh, I see. I was wondering talking. <laughs> I had actually, uh, I'd actually made comments about. It. I was like, "Why can't they hear me?" I was like, "Oh, I'm not on." Um, you are backstage. So, uh, we're doing character, music, and special effects. So uh, just go nuts, because I need to just for a little bit. <laughs> I was just uh, making the comment that when the uh, when the police character got uh, murdered by the ghost. It really was a turning point in the film because up until then it was a um, the spirit was not necessarily a malevolent spirit. It was more spooky, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak. So once that, it was really beyond the point of no return. It was just uh, uh, all, all bets were off at that point. So I thought that was an interesting turning point for the film to make. I'm not even sure the death of the character was necessarily warranted at the end, thematically. But it was understood. Well, uh, I kind of interpret it as not, not like the ghost killing the governor directly, but just the governor, like, could not handle the reality of... He basically just couldn't handle the truth of, the, of what happened. Like, you know, seeing it was just so much of a shock, he had a heart attack. Yeah, that Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, so can't handle the truth. Yeah, so can't handle the truth. <laughs> I'm talking about that uh, sign where, I mean, it was obvious the ghost killed the police guy. I mean, they smashed the window of the car and had him turn over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that was a direct death from the ghost. Uh, the other one, I think that it was the ghost was basically traumatizing him to death. But that was the revenge kill. That was the expected kill. Right. Well, he wasn't that far off from death anyways, uh, if you uh, look at how old he was. Well, I was... I mean, he was six in 1906 or 1907, so he was in his 70s, uh, if you go by what the film was saying. So he was definitely in his 70s at the time, uh, the character. Mm hmm. Yeah. And uh, as for special effects, like, all effects in this work really well. Like, there's not necessarily a lot, but what's there is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Although, when, when the secret room blows up, like, the window, like, blows up. Like, it looks like they did that with dynamite or something. <laughs> so, I, I think that was maybe a little over the top, but that whole scene where the mansion burns down is pretty over the top anyway, so I think it still fits. But that's that, and the uh, staircase light setting on banister lighting on fire, uh, that which we've already talked about. I think those are kind of like our big ones. I mean, the car crash at the beginning, um, it looks like they just have the car run over a coat. You know, there isn't like a huge like streak of blood or anything awful like that. Yeah. We don't need it though. Like the scene works so much better with it clean like that. Yeah, I felt the scene was intense, but I did not feel like it was, um, what's the word? Gratuitous. 
Yeah, I didn't feel like it was. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel like it was that realistic a scene because, again, you could obviously see that there was nobody there when that truck hit. It was, uh, but at the same time, it didn't necessarily it need to have anybody hit. It happened was, uh, really fast too. Like I, I bet if something like that happened to you in reality, like it would happen so quick, like you wouldn't be able to process it. You'd be like, what? And that's probably all you would actually see. Yeah. Like, were there on the ground, just like blurs of motion. <laughs> but, uh... Anyway, um... Did you do your favorite, Brandon? Uh, my favorite was the, uh, scene where that's at the end and you could see the, uh... The banister lighting up on the way down. It's just something visually uh, striking about that. And if nothing else really sticks with me, well, the beginning will stick with me a little bit. But if nothing else sticks with me about this film, that particular scene will. Uh, what happened to Mo? Like, where did he go? Oh, he, um. Uh, he, went he, quiet, um like, he went quiet for like an hour and. Mm-hmm. Uh. <sighs> well, uh, anyway, uh, I think we should probably call it a night on this one. So, mm-hmm. I, mean, I love this movie so much, and I would strongly recommend anybody, even if you're not really like a hor- if you're not a horror fan or you have like trouble with horror, this might be a good pick for you because, like. It's not particularly, like, bloody or nasty, which seems to be kind of the hang-up a lot of people have. I mean, it's still, like, intense, and you probably will have some trouble sleeping after you see it. I mean, like, I don't really shy away from showing a child being drowned in a bathtub. It's psychological. Yeah. So, so generally, so far, it seems that we're doing good with this whole second chances idea, because we're all... Yeah, so far they've all been winners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see how it goes on the next one, uh, which uh, will be Cat or Nine Tales. uh, And this will be Dave's particular uh, one. So, and the the original concept of the second chances is that this would be our second chance at looking at it. So, we'll see. Uh, So far, people have been... Uh, doing fairly well on their second um, go round, so it's uh, something worth watching. <laughs> Definitely. Well, uh, with that, uh, let's let's wrap. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, uh, Dustin, also known as the Crypt of Horrors. So I'm a horror collector here in Milwaukee while I'm going to school. Uh, I have a channel where I show off the crazy stuff I find. Uh, the Crypt of Horrors <laughs> uh, here on YouTube and you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter under that title uh, I recently got something pretty crazy so there's this movie I really love called Aberration uh, it's this somewhat hard to describe killer lizard movie from the 90s that doesn't exist on DVD in this part of the world uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm its only fan. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there was, for some reason, I was looking, I was looking 
up, I was looking it up on uh, eBay, I think I was looking for a VHS or something, I'm not really sure why I felt the urge to search for it on eBay, uh, and I found a cast and crew shirt from the movie that apparently belonged to the main actress, and that came in the mail today, because it was like, what in the fuck? <laughs> uh, it, it was only like $20, which was suspicious, but it appears to be legit. Like, I just looked at it before we started rolling. Mm. So, that'll be uh, posted up sometime soon. Uh, I also shot some more pickup videos that uh, I keep meaning to, like, finish processing, but, uh, you know, classes just started, and I've been kind of, you know, trying to make sure I don't get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. you know? But uh, with that, uh, who wants to go next? Well, why don't I go ahead? Uh, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen vs. the World. Uh, we are a channel that's dedicated to the physical media spectrum, uh, be it uh, music, DVDs, or video games. But, of course, we tend to focus on the movie aspect. And... We have an uh, interesting schedule this time around. As uh, a matter of fact, we have been consistently five days a week, and I think that's where we're going to go. We were seven days a week last week, but uh, that's a bit much uh, on the work for me. So currently, uh, the way we have our schedule is we're having a uh, Mondays being a tour of the collection, uh, or at least of my collection anyway, uh, where we go through 10 items of uh, various sections. A Tuesday uh, for our new releases of things coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K. Wednesday, a typical pickup. Thursday, our Anhedonia project, and Friday being our variety hour. But this variety hour has to do with the Academy Awards. Of course, uh, it is heating up because the Academy Awards are going to be big and bold on Sunday. So uh, we have our predictions coming in, and we have both done our research. And I think that those of you looking to fill out your scorecards will be in luck this time around. Finally, of course, we have the Camp Blood 8 review coming out uh a little bit later this week as well. Now, uh, also, I help with uh, Inside Movies Galore and Delusions of Grandeur, uh, but uh, mostly uh, Inside Movies Galore helping to run the themes and uh, help us organize what movies we talk about here on. Uh, this particular month is, of course, Second Chances with Dave's film Cat of Nine Tales being next week's subject film. Uh-oh. So, see, see, I've only seen the film once, and from what I understood of it, I didn't understand a shit uh, that was going on at the time. So, <laughs> second, second chances, as, we, as we've as uh, we been doing this all along, and if we uh, have been hitting this thematically as we have this month, you're going to love it, obviously. And, uh, with that, uh, that's about all she wrote. Uh, I'm hoping that we have a, a theme for you, uh, our, our viewers, by uh, next week. Or March. 
All right. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, I know it was probably quite rough. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Jake, did you go? Hi, no. I'm Garbuki Jake. I'm a movie, anime, TV, music collector here in Central Virginia. I frequently guest on Something Sin vs. the World. And yeah, all Oscar uh, discussion is a bit of a behemoth, but it will be fun and it'll be worth checking out. Uh, <laughs> two hours. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and then we had um, we've had some other fun ones this month, and particularly the video of people who uh, particular roles that should have been nominated and weren't. That's a kind of a fun. Probably will be an ongoing. Every couple of years, because there's just so many. Uh, the uh, and I do uh, I do mention on here that I do have my own YouTube channel called Bookie Jake about nature in the natural world. It will become updated much more once my new computer is up and running. But in the meantime, there are a few videos on there, and um, hopefully, you'll find them enjoyable. Yeah. All right. All righty. And my name is David Stregi. I, uh, I have founded Inside Movies Galore so that you, uh, all of you can enjoy it with me. Uh, so, and uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed it so far. Um, and uh, I also run another channel called Delusions of Grandeur. Uh, where I go on about my own videos and pickups and stuff like that. And uh, I go on and review uh, 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 films and TV series and whatnot from time to time. Uh, lately, I've been kind of nil, but uh, um, I hope to pick up uh, and start doing some more reviews once, uh, uh, w uh, once I'm able to wa uh, sit down and watch a couple. Uh, of uh, uh, films, and uh, since I've learned some new editing skills, check out some of my uh, last three reviews. So, um, uh, right now I'm trying to go through the Rambo series uh, of, of films, uh, so, uh, so definitely check that out. And uh, uh, before this show, we went on about a uh, an X-Strike Studio a film called R uh, River City Rumble, and we uh, we invited uh, our friend uh, from Rebel Gaming Cl uh, Club, uh, uh, Daniel O'Day. So uh, so Jack, uh, definitely check that out, uh, that out. We had it previously, uh, and uh, hopefully he'll be back um, and uh, have some more fun. Shoot, only need us a couple more, we'll get the whole club in here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, in any case, uh, everyone say good night. Good night. Good night. Picture of Killaway's wife. What? Uh oh. Margaret! You son of a bitch! Jeez, I figured you had a sense of humor. After all, you married her! Ah! That's gotta hurt. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. <laughs>